as Asian Americans with multiple identities, we show up in spaces as only fragmented parts of our identity, like what we think will fit into that specific space or what that space should hold. And rarely do we get the chance to be that complex bagel of interwoven identities. And welcome to the API Plus ERG podcast, where we're going to uh, talk to a few interesting tightsters. And my name is Christian Guerrero. I'm a project manager for marketing communications at Tides, and I have a very special, fun guest today. It is. Hi, everyone. I'm Jana Wang. I'm on the real estate and operations team as the social purpose real estate specialist. Awesome! Thank you very much for coming. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Tell me um, mm. how to pronounce your last name. I know it's. I know your first name is Jana, right? Mm. Like banana. Someone told me that. <laughs> is your last name Wang? What's the pronunciation? In Chinese, it's Wang. So, but I, I I just use Wang. I have always just gone with that. I feel like it sounds like. More cohesive when I say Jana Wang. I I don't know. It's kind of weird. My brother uses the Chinese pronunciation, so he always introduces himself. He's Anderson ah, Wong. That's interesting. And it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a preference? Like honestly, inside, like if you think about it, I think I prefer Wang. Jana Wong just sounds so different. <laughs> ah, ah. I, I have a Chinese name, so. Um, yeah, Wong fits with that Chinese name, and then the Wang fits with Jana. <laughs> if uh, you don't mind me asking, what is your Chinese name? Uh, it's Xiao Zhuang. So my full Chinese name would be Wang Xiao Zhuang. Could you give me a little context? Like you have a Chinese name and a like Anglo-American name. Is that how it works in? Uh, uh, Chinese culture, in that sense. Um, I so I was born in China and I came here when I was four or five. And when I came here, my parents picked out a China,、uh, an English name for me. They sort of just opened a name book and looked at the meanings, and then Jenna has like some maybe Hebrew origins, meaning harvest, and that's. My Chinese name's meaning is、oh. uh, like like fruitful harvest, and so、um, they landed with that. And、um, in high school, when I was starting to apply to colleges, I actually ran into a lot of troubles because the official documentation and like all of my paperwork, the names weren't aligned. So we actually had to go into like a court and. Legally change it so that it's everything's aligned in the correct order. So, I'm officially Jana Xiaozhuang Wang. Unlike your <laughs> now on your paperwork and everything on my paperwork, yeah. But、oh. it used to be like scattered. We would just put whatever, whichever first, depending on the situation, and that created a lot of confusion. I guess. I have a similar thing where my full name is Christian Joshua Gasolco Guerrero, and the Gasolco even has a dash because I think that's our Chinese side, Go、yeah. and Soco. But、yeah. 
paperwork before. It's hard to put a dash, hard to put in the full name. So then it becomes Christian Joshua Guerrero in the U.S. And then like, uh, but the social security has a different name. And uh-huh, yeah. it was a whole <laughs> process also. I didn't have to go to court. It was just DMV, <laughs> right? So wow. uh, that's definitely uh, like a shared experience of like immigrants and all. Yeah. Um, but cool. Well, that's a little Fitting teaser. Yeah, for you. Well, could you well could you give me a little intro about yourself and how long you've been at Tides? Who are you? What do you do at Tides? And then we can kind of dive deep a little bit. Sounds good. I am Jana. I have been at Tides for seven months. I am on the real estate team. Specifically, my position is social purpose real estate specialist. And um I don't have any background in real estate coming into the role. So that title was also another identity that I had to wrap my head around. Um, we help partners like Google.org and Chan Zuckerberg um, utilize their community oriented spaces to support nonprofits. Mm. So we run these event spaces and welcome members from the local community. It's a lot of variables woven together and a lot of value centered, like how can we make this experience align with all of our beliefs in Mm. what community could and should be. Yeah. So I, I love that about this work. I think it's very helpful to hear from folks in different departments of what their work mm-hmm. is. Cause mm-hmm. honestly, sometimes, um, it can get a little siloed, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. cause tides is pretty big and there's a lot of things going on. Right. And then mm-hmm. I hear things going on in philanthropy. I hear things going on in the social venture. And then I just learned from you when we first had a chat a few weeks ago about, mm-hmm. Oh, what the work under real estate is. And mm-hmm. y'all kind of act as a consulting arm almost to these, mm-hmm. uh, like google.org and these spaces. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Could I ask mm-hmm. what drew you to tides? So during mm-hmm. this month of AAPI Heritage Month, we're going to be talking to folks who are on the newer side, like seven mm-hmm. months, and then those who have been here for a few years. So I would like to hear what drew you to tides and uh, what kind of made your uh, decision strong to accept to work at tides. So prior to Tides, my experience was more grassroots organizing and like smaller nonprofit work. I worked at a media arts nonprofit in LA called um, Visual Communications. And they, one of their most known things they do is the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. So running that, doing memberships, sponsor, uh, memberships, grant writing, all of the fundraising end of things. It was a, it was a, maybe not the best fit for me. And I, I burnt out working in nonprofit kind of right out of college. So when the pandemic hit, I had just quit and I moved back home 
for the first time in seven years. So yeah, I, I was just looking, I was like, I really wanted to cast my net wide and explore because it's way too early for me to define one thing and then run with it till the end. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, I looked at the uh, jobs with social impact or community oriented work and luckily found my team at Tides. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I actually found Tides because of uh, the same search term of social impact. Mm. On, I had a Google mm. alert set up for all the mm. social impact jobs. And then I actually found an advisor role. Then mm. I found the marketing and communications. And then what you just shared, though, in terms of exploring is very valid because we have one uh, team member, they were just sharing that they used to be a marriage and family therapist, like full on um, certified at all the hours at the whole professional track mm -hmm. there and just mm -hmm. decided like, hey, I don't have to do this, yeah. right? For the rest yeah. of my life, it's not yeah. just because you've gone down that road that you have to stay there and switched yeah. over to communications, right? So. So that's great to hear. Could I get a little snapshot of your heritage and what that means to you, right? Since this is AAPI Plus Heritage Month, right? Yeah. Um, what do you identify with? What do you carry with you? Because yeah. I think in conversations of identity, people have different ways of relating to it, right? Sometimes it's mm. more ethnic. Sometimes it's more gender. Sometimes it's more of your family's culture versus their ethnicity, right? Yeah. So what do you carry with you and honor during this uh, Heritage Month? Mm. I love Heritage Month because it's an opportunity to hear from so many interesting experiences and people who do carry a lot of, like a huge variety of identities altogether. And I was thinking about this and relating it to the movie we watched, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Like sometimes identity can be that loaded black bagel that you're carrying. Right? Um, reference. <laughs> Not a spoiler, just a reference. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes I feel like as Asian Americans, we, as Asian Americans with multiple identities, really, we show up in spaces as only fragmented parts of our identity, like what we think will fit into that specific space or what that space should hold parts of us, right? And rarely do we get the chance to be that complex bagel <laughs> of interwoven identities. Mm. Um, yeah, I was thinking about it and I feel like I haven't even fully processed a lot of the intersections of my identities, but I think about being Asian American, being queer, being disabled, being femme, being the firstborn daughter of immigrants, working class parents, and carrying what my parents' experiences influenced on me. All of that is heritage too. 
um, to go into a little detail. My mom was the sole breadwinner of our family and seeing strong women stepping into the role and responsibility and surviving the way that she did. That's part of my heritage. Um, dealing with my father, who is also a complex figure. Funny story. Um, he was a pageant winner what? <laughs> in China's first beauty pageant after they reopened the doors to the West. So he was Mr. Guangzhou, a very vibrant, joyful, stylish man who loved singing and dancing, but also the mental illness that took its toll, the addiction that took its toll, the impacts of the Cultural Revolution on his lack of education mm -hmm. really showed. And being the firstborn child of these two parent figures taught me a lot about how to navigate the world and the systems in the world to survive. And every day I show up with some part of that influencing how I think. And at Tides, I am lucky to have the chance that it informs so deeply about what I put my faith into and what I hope for. Mm. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> Especially yeah. your mama's story as a breadwinner and also <laughs> acknowledgement of your father's energy, but also the mental health challenges, right? <laughs> I'm glad actually in the last few years, mental health has become a conversational point that has been more now mainstream and not just among like academics or community workers, right? Mm -hmm. And how that plays up. But I know that that topic is still somewhat new within the familial uh, spaces um, on average of Asian American um, mm -hmm. families, right? Mm -hmm. um, could, could I ask, like, how has, have you been able to talk about mental health uh, mm -hmm. in a way with your family or bre breach that topic? So being on a campus where Asian American identity is taught in ethnic studies and becomes politicized. Mm. So pushed beyond just the outside look of being Asian American. It gave me the language and the groundedness to approach these topics because it became not an individual issue, but a societal issue when we talk about how immigrants deal with mental health, because it's not an individual failing that they fall under the pressure of the social oppression <laughs> and mm -hmm. stressors, right? So it was a lot easier to start from that bigger picture and talk about history and community and the impacts on our feelings and that's the way that I approach talking about mental health with my parents. That's a great perspective of separating the individual and the system while still honoring the individual, but understanding that it's not their fault. 
blocked mm-hmm. or they're, they've been acted on by the system. And mm-hmm. healing can happen on the individual level, though it is a societal Mm-hmm. kind of conversation to have mm-hmm. of how folks' mental health is affected, right? Mm. It's kind of funny because I remember geeking out with you about ethnic studies. What did you study in undergrad? Were you Asian Am studies, ethnic studies? I did Asian Am as a minor, and I, I would say I should have switched to it, but I was being stubborn and <laughs> writing out my major that I committed to. I loved Asian Am because... In that space, I feel like I got to process so much and connect so much Uh, and act upon what I was still stuck on uh, um, and see other inspiring figures who had similar experiences find what made them thrive. Not that my major didn't. My major was pretty cool. World Arts and Cultures. It was like... (laughs) Um, I I wanted to be a social documentary filmmaker going into college. So that major was a blend of performance arts, like dance, museum curation, and that sort of anthropology that goes behind documentary making. So did you dance also? Um, I had a couple of dancing classes. They weren't mandatory, but it was fun to learn. Yeah, it's really amazing. A, A lot of contemporary dance with a lot of symbolism and metaphors in the performance. Yeah. I had a lot of friends who um, have amazing stage presence. I'm I'm not a performer whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it was just testing something new. That's cool. That's great. So I enjoyed our conversation about identity getting the, kind of more background about Mm -hmm. you, right? With that context now, Mm -hmm. I want to ask about the Tides Impact Statement. And I know you've reflected on this uh, Mm -hmm. because I want to ask with this lens of your heritage and your backstory, where you come from, the different Mm -hmm. experiences you have, how do you view the Impact Statement what resonates with you? What are you excited about? Who do you think it's for? At least what you would want to see out of it in that mm-hmm. sense. And let me just read it right now, just so we have okay. uh, like a little front loading. It says, mm-hmm. tides will strengthen power of groups who face systemic barriers to resources and opportunities, especially BIPOC leaders, their organizations and communities. To do so, Tides will work with aligned partners and deliver operational excellence to build capacity and grow resources for those who face systemic barriers to power and influence a more equitable social change sector in service of Tides' vision to advance shared prosperity and social justice. (laughs) What resonates with you? What are your thoughts about that? I'd love to hear that. (laughs) I think... When I can sense that BIPOC communities are at the forefront and are able to thrive or break free of things previously holding them back, I get this like chest pang, like (laughs) my heart aches in joy. And it's like Mm. this deep intuitive feeling of knowing that that is healing, whether it's on individual level, community level, 
or bigger systemic level. And that's sort of my compass when I navigate through my work at Tides is how do we get closer to that? Specifically, what Asian American Heritage Month brings up for me that's related to the impact statement is what I still see as an issue for the Asian American community. Um, backtracking a little bit, in Asian American studies, uh, we learned about this idea of racial triangulation between white folks, black and brown folks, and Asian American folks. Like it's this triangle and we're, we're divided as such. And oftentimes Asian Americans being seen as the model minority, Asian Americans being umbrella termed and <laughs> represented often by East Asians with a lot of class mobility and the benefits of some stereotypes were seen as non-threatening and able to assimilate in closer, closer to whiteness and were often used as a wedge against black and brown communities. So when thinking about the impact statement, when thinking about BIPOC as a whole that includes Asian American solidarity, I think about how we can move from being a model minority to truly supporting systems of oppression that not only save us, but also help other communities heal. Um, and I think that's something we can still work a lot on, especially given policing to help the Asian American community feel safe and around things like affirmative action things like labor. Yeah, I. <laughs> that was one big thought right there, thought dump. That was great. Like, it's interesting because when you share about, say, triangulation, the way that you present things, it mm -hmm. gives me flashbacks to ethnic studies and like being in class. And <laughs> I, I like the acknowledgement that you have of the stratification even within just the term of BIPOC, right? Because I know that that's a loaded term in a lot of ways. It's useful to be able to say this is our general area of focus and it's for these folks who have been historically marginalized as a group. But there's a lot of nuance within there of privilege, of, like you said, the triangulation where Asians have been used as a wedge against black and brown folks because of its proximity to whiteness, right? And its ability to assimilate in a way. And it's a very, it's a very loaded topic to even have, even within the Asian American community, especially if you go also intergenerational, right? Um, so. <laughs> Ooh, are you ready for that work? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I saw your yeah. eye roll there. <laughs> but it's, it's great that we are having these conversations. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm grateful that the Tides has this impact statement that's pointing to the right direction, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Of course, you can't have a whole dissertation in an impact statement that talks about all the nuance of the uh, direction that we're going. But I do love that acknowledgement that you just shared that there's a lot of work left to do within our community mm-hmm. still also. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Mm-hmm. How do you see if you see an idea all right. It doesn't have to be like a full on quarterly plan. But how do you see this impact statement through a lens that you have as an Asian American playing out in your role mm-hmm. or in your department in real estate? Is there anything that's exciting you? Are there any new ideas how because of this impact statement, things could shift mm-hmm. general thoughts or ideas? Hmm. I think my role is a lot about how can we better bring people together and even out or design the space for equity Mm. in a sense where we're leveling out feelings of power or lack thereof when we are together. So (laughs) if I could bring this impact statement into life in my work, bringing communities together for more interfacing, more interpersonal relationship building between Asian Americans, even older generations of Asian Americans Mm. to learn and hear from and not to feel threatened, not to feel like whatever they have, the crumbs that they have are going to be taken away just by sharing collective power and collective liberation dialogue across BIPOC communities to be closer in wavelength Mm. that Mm. would be beautiful so hmm. (laughs) thanks for sharing yeah now to close off first Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing your story how (laughs) the impact statement uh sits with you and a little bit about your work as Mm. a little fun outro Mm. um do you want to share what is one interesting person story from ethnic studies that you would like people to check out since it's uh, Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Is there anything that comes to mind like, you should Google this person or do you know this interesting thing about this culture? Do you have a shout out for us? I really admire the author Chanel Miller, her book, Know My Name. Uh, is a memoir of her experience um, of assault. It's the Stanford Brock Turner case, and she was the Emily Doe that came forward. Yeah, and she is Asian American, and that changed how she was perceived in the courtroom. And her journey to healing after that incident, even after beyond the book, that she's written um, that's been really inspiring for me. So I highly recommend Know My Name. It's written so well and so um, thoughtfully, every word. She's an awesome human that integrates joy and childlike wonder back into like this like introspective feeling sorting out <laughs> sort of way that we can all learn from. So Asian American Heritage Month, I would definitely recommend her book. Awesome. Thank you very much. Do you have any outgoing message to your fellow Tidesters? Um, 
I hope I hope to meet more tidesters throughout this hybrid work model and just reintegrating back into a normal pace, <laughs> normal with quotation marks. So yeah, <laughs> definitely reach out to me. I know I can be terrible at small talk, but I would love to hear all y'all stories too. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much, Jana. Yeah.